right. What's up, Summit Church? Hope you guys all had a Merry Christmas. I was personally hoping for a white one uh, since it was my first one here in Colorado. Uh, That didn't happen, but there's hope uh, for next year. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Zach Florence. I recently moved here to Denver along with my wife, Amanda, and our two rowdy kids, Vera and Noah. Uh, If you doubt, doubt it when I say that they're rowdy, just pay attention when we're done here tonight. And when you see two kids running laps in the lobby, um, those two are ours. So some of you guys are thinking right now, like, I know exactly who those kids are. Um, so that's Vera um, and Noah. Um, so it's been a bit of a crazy year for our family. And uh, I don't know if you ever saw the TV show Lost. Well, they produced this, like, Lost in 8 Minutes, uh, where they recapped, like, five seasons of the show, like, super fast. Uh, so I'm going to give you the Florence family life in 2013 in 45 seconds. Um, so we began 2013 in Texas in a suburb of Houston called Tomball, um, where I'd been on staff at a church there uh, for the previous six years. Uh, February, we found out about the Summit Church. As we were researching recent church plants here in the city, because uh, we had a desire to play a role in church planting here in Denver. Uh, May, we came and we visited. We met many of you guys uh, during that trip. And uh, during that time, it was pretty clear uh, that this is the church in Denver that we wanted uh, to be a part of. Uh, July came around, and I got a phone call that I did not get the job uh, that I had been interviewing for with a company in downtown. And uh, we were really disappointed. Uh, because we, we just had a strong desire to be here and be a part of what God is doing through this church in this city. Uh, thankfully, the story didn't end there, and the very next day, Brian Barley gave me a phone call and asked if I was interested in having a conversation about coming on staff here. So long story short, uh, in October, our family loaded up our moving van and drove the 1,023 miles uh, from Tomball, Texas, uh, to our house here in the Whittier um, neighborhood. So I can honestly say that one of the greatest joys in my life is serving you guys through the staff here. And our family has just been tremendously blessed by the warm welcome um, you all have given us. And if you're a member here, um, you just need to know this, if you don't already, how unique and special this church is. Um, Like the way you guys actually live in community, don't just talk about it or theorize about it, but you actually love and you care and you serve and you live life together. It really is a beautiful thing. And so if you're not a member here, uh, you need to know um, that the people who call themselves members of this church, they love you, and they care for you, and they desire greatly for you to be welcomed here. And maybe you're here tonight, and uh, you're not a Christian or a follower of Jesus, and you're just scoping things out. And uh, let me just also say to you that I don't think it's an accident that you're here tonight. Because in the same way we've been welcomed into the Summit Church family here, we're going to learn how God has welcomed men and women into his family tonight. So if you have your Bible, uh, get it out. We're going to be in John 1. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's Bibles under every single chair. If you don't own a Bible, um, you're welcome to keep that. That's our gift uh, to you, but that is for you underneath your chair. Um, If you're using the Bibles underneath the chair, we're going to be on page 570. Six, And so we're in First John. This is where we've been for the past, past couple of weeks. Um, and I want to read the whole passage. We're going to be focusing in tonight on verses 9 through 12. But I just want to read uh, from the beginning. Page 576, um, John chapter 1, verse 1. Um, in the beginning, God was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, where we'll be this morning. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in, in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let me pray for our time, and we'll dig into this. Father, I thank you for tonight. Um, I thank you for bringing us here in this building. Uh, Thank you for giving us your word that we can study, that we can read, and that you can speak to through us as we'll learn tonight. So I pray that you would do just that. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that your spirit would, would change us with the truths of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ, and that you would be a work among us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so one of the things that you need to know about our daughter Vera is that she loves to dance. I mean, it's like wired into her being. I don't know if she gets this from her mother or myself. And if you're hoping for any kind of demonstration tonight, uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, you'll have to wait till the next summit wedding uh, to see me bust a move. Um, so the other day I was coming home from work and I found Amanda and Vera and Noah um, not just watching, uh, but dancing to YouTube clips from the old uh, the Sister Act movies. Um, so I don't know if you ever saw those movies. Um, they're pretty good. Uh, in fact, Brian Barley, when I was telling him about this, said that those are some of his favorite childhood movies. Uh, so by contrast, some of mine were like Rudy and the Rocky movies and the Karate Kid. Uh, so I was watching those while our pastor of leadership and preaching was watching Sister Act. Um, so if you haven't seen it, Sister Act 1, Whoopi Goldberg uh, plays a Vegas showgirl at the beginning known as Dolores Wilson. And she becomes a nun and gets a new name, Sister Mary Clarence. Uh, so she goes on, and she becomes the choir director at the monastery, and she helps the choir nuns become, you know, change from boring, kind of dull, typical choir nun to, like, this really cool, hip choir that goes on to wow everyone, including the Pope, uh, with their rendition of the old Motown song, My Guy, that they performed as My God. So you guys who've seen this, the music's now, like, running through your head. Um, so Sister Act 2 is another similar story of change. Whoopi Goldberg uh, goes on staff at uh, St. Francis Catholic School, and she helps change uh, the choir kids there from being a bunch of unruly, rude, rambunctious, um, irresponsible kids into hardworking young adults uh, who eventually go on to win the All-State Choir Championship uh, with their hip-hop remix of the old church hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. And so basically the, the, the two themes that these movies have in common is that they're both about change. And movies like this about change and becoming are really popular because they both, um, they all have an underlying message that says this, that you can and you need to change yourself. That you can and you need to change from bad to good. That you can and you need to change from your secular ways and put in some good um, community service at your local monastery. Or that you can and you need to change from being an irresponsible kid to a hardworking adult. But Christianity isn't about you changing who you are. It's about God transforming who you are. And maybe you don't even know that you're in need of any transformation in your life. Or maybe you're to the point where you know like something significant has got to change, but you don't know what to do or where to turn. But here's the deal. While you may be able to change yourself to varying degrees, you can't transform yourself. And even more, what we're all in need of the most isn't change, but it's transformation. 
And so tonight as we continue our Christmas series that we've creatively called Christmas, uh, when God became man, God's going to speak to us, and he's going to reveal to us from John 1 how the reality of Christmas transforms us. And ultimately how for us Christmas means relationship. Because through Jesus coming to earth, we are transformed into who we need to become the most sons and daughters of God. Now, I just made a statement that on the surface might seem like an assumption. I just said that God through the Bible is speaking to us tonight. And this is the very first thing that we're going to learn from the passage we're studying tonight, that God speaks. And some of you right now may be tuning out, man, this guy's crazy. He's quack to say that that God speaks. Like, God has never spoken to me, therefore God doesn't speak. But let's look at the text uh, that we just read. In verse 9, It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, the true light here is referring to Jesus. Jesus is the light. And also, multiple times in the same uh, passage, Jesus is referred to as the Word. Now, what light and words have in common is that they both communicate something. So, like, lights, lights reveal and words speak. So, John's making a very clear point here that God is communicating to the world through Jesus. In other words, God speaks. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God speaks to us. He reveals himself to us. Now, the idea that the creator of the universe, the most important being in the world, speaks to us, um, like, should radically, like, shake us and get our attention. I don't know if you've ever ran into a famous person before. Uh, Brian Barley talked about this a little bit last week. But there's this natural human reaction to be overwhelmed, like, when we meet um, someone famous, and so you probably don't know this about me, but I actually have someone semi-famous uh, in my family who spent a number of hours on broadcast TV. Um, and there's a bit of a running joke in my family. I've got four brothers, and um, of all of them, I'm like the least accomplished athlete of all of them. Like they've got marathons, triathlons, ultra marathons under their belt, and I've got like nothing. And so um, Nick, he's one of the youngest. He was actually the starting quarterback for Baylor University uh, last football season. And I don't know if you follow college football or not, um, but the year before my brother started, there was this guy, you may have heard of him, Robert Griffin III, um, who won the Heisman Trophy. And so um, my brother was following up his Heisman Trophy winning season, and there was just a a lot of hype um, around him and a lot of focus and media attention on him. And he really, he lived up to the hype. Uh, He broke, actually broke multiple of Robert Griffin's records um, on route to take Baylor to win the Holiday Bowl last year in San Diego. So in short, uh, you may not be a Baylor fan, but if you are, um, actually, I think we have one Baylor fan here tonight. There we go. <laughs> There's only one, um, Emily. Um, but to Baylor fans, like he was like super famous. Um, so our family, we went out to the game uh, that last year in San Diego, and we decided to visit the San Diego Zoo after the game. And uh, we had a really hard time actually seeing any of the exhibits or the animals because about every 10 steps that we took, someone was stopping uh, Nick to see if they could take a photo with him or get his autograph. And so um, it, was just, it was really funny watching people react to him. Some people would kind of walk up and congratulate him, pull out their phone and like take a quick selfie with him. Um, some people would just kind of walk by and just really kind of not say anything to him and just kind of whisper like, oh my gosh, that's Nick Florence. Um, and so we, we decided to stop at one point to take a photo. And this really did happen. This isn't a made-up story. Uh, so here we are at the San Diego Zoo. Nick is up in the top right. You can't really see, but he's got a really good summit beard going. He would fit in well here. Um, so that's Nick in the top right. Here I am, clean shaving on the left, and Amanda, and Barry didn't make it out, but Noah, you can see his profile a little bit right there. Uh, so here we are in all of our Baylor getup, and um, a really funny thing happened when, um, when the woman who took this photo realized who she was taking a picture of. 
And so she didn't say anything first at first, but I could tell that she knew um, what was going on. And so she took the photo. Um, I thanked her for helping us out. And then she responded in this really shy um, manner. Um, I see you guys are hanging out with Nick Florence today. And uh, it, was just, it was just really funny. because, like, yeah, like, yeah, we're hanging out. We're brothers. Uh, that's, that's what brothers do. Um, but, but to this woman, Nick wasn't a little brother. He was, like, he was a hero. He was a superstar of sorts. And she was like, amazed that, that someone would actually get to have a relationship with him. And here's the deal. Many of us struggle to think that God, the most important and famous being in the world, actually desires to have a relationship with us. You might think to yourself that there's no way that God would actually speak to me. He's got bigger and better things to do, like keeping the universe in order, than to speak to me. But that's the miracle that we celebrate at Christmas, that God speaks. He's given light to all men through Jesus coming into the world, and he has spoken and continues to speak. Now, there are many ways that God speaks, but uh, for the sake of time, I want to talk about two tonight. First, God speaks through his creation. Romans 1.20 says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Now, this verse gives us some detail and insight into what John 1 is saying. And when you pause and you think about it, this verse is mind-blowing. Now, I know many of us here, we love the mountains um, and love to get up there regularly. Personally, I love uh, snowboarding. And while I love the adrenaline of just flying down a mountain, I think what I love the most is the beauty that I see when I'm up there. And I think all of us can relate to this, whether it's mountains or beach or a sunset. All of us have been moved at some point in our lives by the beauty that surrounds us. And so, as you, you probably know, our building is located right here in the middle of the Rhino Art District. And in the same way, when an artist creates a work, the work reveals something about the artist. God's creation reveals to us something about his character. His creation speaks about his grandeur and his might and his beauty and his infinite nature. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't believe in a divine creator. And let me just take a moment to lovingly and respectfully say that I think that you have more faith than I do. That I think that it takes more faith to say that it's meaningless when we see a miraculously beautiful sunset where the clouds just seem to catch fire, then it is to say that the beauty of our world speaks about an infinitely powerful and beautiful creator. And so when you're out in the city and state that we're blessed to call home, just pause and reflect on how good and great God is to create something beautiful for us to enjoy. And maybe next time you see something just amazingly beautiful, just ask yourself this question, What does this say about the nature and character of God? So God speaks through his creation. Second, God speaks through his word. Hebrews 4.12 says that, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And now I realize that I might have just this might seem like circular reasoning, that I'm using the Bible to inform me about truths about the Bible. Uh, But we believe as a church uh, that the Bible is the ultimate source of truth and it's without error. And I realize that that's like a really unpopular thought in a culture that's just telling us always that you, the individual, get to determine what is ultimately true. 
And if that's you, if you have questions about why we believe that, um, I'll just extend an invitation if you want to grab me after, uh, afterwards tonight or one of the pastors here. We'd love to get coffee with you and answer any questions that you might have. Uh, but let, if that's you, let me just challenge you with this. Just give it a shot. Like just start reading the Bible with the intention of, of listening to what God has to say and see what happens. Not with the intention to prove a point, but with the intention to see what God might say to you and see what happens. There's countless stories in this room about how God has spoken and transformed lives by people sitting down and reading their Bibles. And maybe you came with a family member or a coworker or a friend or neighbor. Maybe ask them uh, to read the Bible with you and see what happens. Just take a chance and see how God might speak to you. But all of us need to remember and reflect on this truth. That when we sit down and we read our Bibles, like whether we emotionally feel it or not, God is actively speaking to us today, helping us make sense of the world around us, of him and our lives. I think the more that we embrace this truth, um, the greater our desire will be uh, to get into his word. Because if he's promised to speak to us, why would we not listen? So God speaks. So the second thing that we're going to learn from the text tonight um, that we're studying is that when God speaks, we respond. Um, And now this should be easy for us to understand because we're constantly responding uh, when people speak. And uh, to demonstrate this, like, I'm not really, like, a big fan of just, like, talking by myself for long amounts of time. So we're going to do some interaction here, if you guys are okay with that. Um, So when people speak, we respond. So if I were to kind of give some good news, let's say, like, this is just pretend, so don't hold us to this. Uh, But let's just say we're handing out gift cards to snooze. For everyone who is here tonight on your way out, how would you respond? Cool. Like only half of you actually like snooze. Um, (laughs) The other half, I will take your gift card. Um, So let's just say um, I speak some bad news. Um, So theoretically, this would definitely never happen. Uh, But let's just say the Broncos just lost the Super Bowl to the Cowboys. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. So just... As a disclaimer, I'm from Texas. The Broncos are my number one team now. So um, I grew up in Dallas, so I'm always a Cowboys fan at heart. So um, let's just say I'm actually really funny, and I just delivered like a really good joke with a really good punchline. <laughs> that, that wasn't that great of a joke. Um, so let's just say this might be also hard to really, you have to like use your imagination here that I'm not that funny, and I just told a really bad joke. <laughs> yeah, it's called the courtesy laugh. Um, and we all do it. We respond. Um, I know this well because uh, my wife Amanda responds uh, with the courtesy laugh often in response to my terrible, cheesy jokes. Uh, but my point is this. Um, understanding that when God speaks, we respond, it just makes sense. But now the difficult and the heavy truth to understand that John's going to tell us tonight is that all men for all time, including myself and everyone in this room, not only have responded to God, but have rejected him. So let's go back to the text and pick it up in verse 10. He, Christ, was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now what's important not to miss in this passage is that there are two groups of people that have both rejected God. The people of the world and the people called his own. Now, it might be helpful to um, underline these two groups in your Bible. So when John writes his own, in verse 11, he's referring to the Jews. And when he writes the world, in verse 10, he's talking about everyone else called the Gentiles. Now, you might be asking yourself, like, what's the point of this? Why is this that big of a deal? 
And here's why it's a big deal. It's because this includes everyone in the world at that time. This doesn't leave anyone out. That everyone on earth had rejected and has rejected God. Now these two groups also represent both the religious and the irreligious people of that day. Uh, The Jews, they were highly religious. They rejected God because his message was offensive to their superiority and their pride. They thought that from changing from bad to good, um, good to better, better to awesome, was the way that you earn salvation. But Jesus came and he taught that no one is good. That the way to salvation is to acknowledge sin, repent from it, and trust in Jesus. In their pride, they rejected this teaching along with Jesus. Um, and, And then we also have the Gentiles. And they represented the irreligious people of the time. Um, they rejected God because his message was offensive to their desire to be their own God. They thought that they were the most supreme being in the universe, and indulging in their immediate desires was greater than anything Jesus had to offer. But Jesus and he came, and he taught that you should love God above all things in life, and that only in him is real joy found. In their selfishness, they rejected this teaching along with with Jesus and pursued their own idols, thinking that they would bring them happiness. Now from this, we can learn and have insight into how we have and how we are um, rejecting Christ. Uh, For me, growing up, I landed on the religious side. Uh, I was a wretchedly uh, religious kid. And I lived under an assumption, and the assumption was this, that I was a really good person. I thought that by avoiding the big obvious sins on the naughty list, that I was like automatically defaulted to the nice list. And that God must have been happy to have such a great kid claim to be a Christian because I made him look good. But it was during high school uh, that God began to destroy this pedestal that I had built for myself. Some friends from school invited me to study the Bible with them. And through this time, God revealed himself to me. He spoke to me, not in any kind of weird way, but he just revealed truths about who he is, revealed to me my sin of pride, other sins in my life that I had ignored, and showed me my need for the Savior. And so for some of you, maybe you have no desire to appease God by strict obedience to his commands, and you've gone the other direction. Maybe you fall into the irreligious category, and you're all about you. Whatever you think will make you happy, you chase it, regardless of what God says, thinking that in things or experiences, you'll find happiness. You think that expeditions to the mountains, uh, successful job promotions, relationship, money, nights on the town, alcohol, weed, whatever it is for you, Um, you think that those things will bring you joy. And if that's you, let me ask you a question. Like, is it working? And if it is working, do you think that it's going to last? Because I don't doubt that these things can give you temporary pleasures, but do you really think that it's going to last? Because what you don't realize is that by being your own God and seeking these things to serve your own pleasures, you're rejecting the one true God, and the only one that can actually give you a real and lasting joy. Jesus says this in John 15, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That was a really profound verse, because it's counterintuitive to how many of us think. You might be here tonight, and you think that God wants you to be miserable, and it's the complete opposite. Jesus doesn't want you to quit rejecting him so that you become miserable. He wants you to quit chasing shallow pleasures, all for the purpose of finding the fullest joy possible that's only found in him. It doesn't mean that life isn't without struggles or sorrow for the Christian, but it does mean that only in Jesus is real joy, joy that lasts longer than a moment 
is found. And so God speaks, and we have all responded by rejecting him. But thankfully, the story does not end there, because John is going to show us that there is another way to respond to Christ, and that while we have all rejected him, some eventually receive. So let's look at verse 12. And uh, if you have your pen with you, you want to get it out. If you don't have one, there's one under your chairs in the Bible provided. Um, so the first word of verse 12, it's a word worth underlining, and we don't want to miss it. Circle it, highlight it, exclamation point, star. And it's the word but. And now we have to stop here because we don't want to miss one of the most important words in the Bible. Because here's the deal. The story could have ended there. That God has spoken that all men have rejected. The music could have started playing. The credits could have started rolling. But God, in his goodness, in his grace, and in his love for us, continues to speak. And he writes the word but instead of the words at the end. And this is called grace. He does this throughout scripture, and it's called a second chance for those who have rejected him. So let's keep reading in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how exactly does one go from rejecting to receiving? I mean, this is the biggest question that we all need to wrestle with. How do we go from being opposed to God, willfully rejecting him and sin, to then receiving him? And if you only walk away with one thing tonight, I hope you walk away with the answer to this most important life-altering question. And here it is. In order to go from rejecting Christ to receiving him, you must believe in his name. In order to go from rejecting Christ to receiving him, you must believe in his name. Now, naturally, this begs another question of what does it mean to believe in the name of Jesus? What this doesn't mean is that we simply believe that his name really was Jesus, that he was a historical figure who walked the earth. What believing in his name does mean is ultimately to accept all that he proclaimed, to embrace and to believe the gospel But Jesus came and he preached a gospel of faith and repentance, which means the way uh, to salvation, the way to relationship with him is to turn from our sin, our rejection of him, and to turn towards Christ, to place our faith in his life and death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls. This is what it means to believe in his name. So in other words, um, to receive Christ, it's essential to first confess that you have rejected him. That there is no other way. When this happens, when we repent from our rejection of God and we turn towards him and receive him through faith, transformation happens. In verse 12, it says that we become children of God. We immediately go from an orphan to a child of God. We're adopted into his family and we begin our eternal relationship with him. So what does it mean for us to be called children of God? Um, many of you guys know uh, the Barleys are in the process of adoption. And I think one of the beautiful things and amazing things when they talk about their future adopted child is they don't use an adjective to describe their child as adopt, adopted. Um, you don't hear them say, man, we just can't wait to get our adopted child home. What they do say is, we just can't wait to get our child with no adjective home. And if someday they have biological children as well, there'll be no distinction in their minds between biological and adopted children because they will all be their own. And so in the same way, when God adopts us into his family, we get the full rights and benefits and privileges and love as one of his own. 
There's not an asterisk beside our name noting like, here is Zach Florence, originally an orphan, now adopted, therefore not fully loved. Like, no, that is not how God works. He welcomes us as his own. He forgives us of our rejection of him. And he views us how he views Jesus as perfect and righteous and loved. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, do you reflect on this truth often? Or are you still trying to earn God's favor and love? Do you view yourself as a beloved child of God? I mean, how we view ourselves is huge. Our identity as beloved children of God should radically change us. So for example, women, if you embrace the truth that God loves you and delights in you, would you be chasing after that relationship, longing to hear what God is telling you every single day, that you're loved and you're beautiful the way you are? And then, if you walked in the truth that you've already been accepted by God, would you still be striving so hard to prove yourself? Would you constantly be measuring yourself up to other guys if you believe that your Heavenly Father has already approved and welcomed you? I mean, to be honest, I'm preaching to myself here. I struggle with this. Um, I often think that I have to act a certain way, do certain things, gain certain approval. In the case of tonight, preach a good enough sermon uh, to be accepted by God. But the truth is, God's love for me is not conditional of my works. His love is unconditional of my actions. Because by the grace of God, I've been accepted into his family through faith in Christ's work. And I find the more I embrace this truth, the greater desire I have to walk in obedience to him. Not out of a motivation to earn his love, but out of a response to the unmerited love that he's freely given me. And so as we close, I just want us to reflect Uh, for a minute, on why God does what he does. I mean, why does God speak when he didn't have to? Why does God give us second chances when he didn't have to? Why does God transform us from orphans to his children? I mean, why does he even want a relationship with us? So John 3.16, it's a famous verse uh, that sometimes, if we're not careful, it can lose its magnitude and its beauty. And it says this, and maybe let's actually just read this out loud together. It's just a simple way to proclaim it uh, to one another. It should be on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So here's the answer. This verse just gives it to us. That the reason that God has done all this is because he loves us. The first phrase, we can't miss it. That God so loved. He didn't just sort of love or kind of love, but he so loved. And I don't know where you've come from. Uh, Maybe you've never heard those three words, I love you, like meaningfully spoken to you. And maybe for the first time tonight, that's what you need to hear God saying to you, that he loves you, that he really does love you. And so if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God, like he greatly desires one. He desires a relationship with you. We know this because at great cost to him, he sent Jesus to earth. And that Christmas means relationship with God is possible through faith in Christ. He's longing for you, and I'm pleading with you to humble yourself and to believe in his name. And if you're here and you do have a relationship with uh, God as one of his children, God wants you to know that he delights in you. And as I mentioned earlier, I've got two kids And there's days that are hard, and they're disobedient, which is like most days, and their diapers stink, especially Noah's. Um, But at the end of the day, I love them. Like, 
They bring me so much joy, and I delight in them as my children. In the same way a father delights in his kids, God delights in you. And he cherishes his relationship with you because he sent his son to earth to suffer and to bleed and to die so that you also might be called his child. And so I'm going to pray. Brian's going to come up and read some truth with us, and we're going to sing. And I invite you to do two things. First, to reflect. To reflect on what God is saying to you tonight. Don't just go through the motions of this and just repeat the lyrics that we're singing just out of repetition, but to think about the truths that we're singing about, to think about the truths that God is speaking to you tonight. So first, reflect, and second, to respond. And do whatever you need to do to respond to how God is speaking to you. If you need to sit, if you need to pray with your friend, if you need to stand with your arms raised, just do whatever you need to do to respond about how God is speaking to you tonight, revealing his goodness and his character and all that he has done for us in Christ. So let's pray. Father, we, we're thankful that we even get to call you Father. We're thankful that the story didn't end, that we have all rejected you. We thank you that it wasn't out of anything good that we have done, to earn your love, but you loved us out of your loving nature. So Father, I pray that your spirit would help us to understand more and more your love and your delight in us. That for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we are viewed as your beloved children. That we don't have to strive anymore that you love and you accept us the way that we are. And I pray that we would um, respond to that by giving our lives to you, by doing what your word says, not to earn your love, but in response to it. And for those that are here tonight who don't know you as Father, I pray that your spirit would work. I pray that your spirit would reveal truth to them, that you would save them, that you would adopt them, and that we would rejoice in your work in extending your family and your kingdom. Help us to respond well now. In Jesus' name, amen.